Live from the NixCast Anthropological Institute, today we're talking about steampunks. Everyone and welcome to episode nine of Fanthropological, the podcast where we take the fans' eye view and take a look inside and see what makes fans tick. Today we are talking about steampunk, and here with me to do that are my best friends, T. Hello, G. I'm talking to you over the wireless, wireless communicator, and Z. <laughs> well, hello, and I think I've already got it all figured out. Oh, that's good. I know. What makes steampunks tick? Uh-oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. Oh, no. 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 What have we done? Clockwork. Uh... <laughs> As G mentioned, this week we are talking about steampunks. Uh, I got a really interesting definition, two interesting definitions, both from the same source. But one I think is cooler because it's mathy, and that's what I'm like. <laughs> so the first one is from this article what is steampunk and is it over from the mary sue uh, actually comes from a book the steampunk bible written by jeff vandermeer and his definition is steampunk equals mad scientist inventor possibly with invention steam airship or metal man broke stylings times pseudo victorian setting plus progressive or reactionary politics times adventure plot or in a, a more understandable <laughs> format uh from from the author what is steampunk and where did it start fair enough steampunk has its roots in the victorian era and the fantastical works of such authors as jules verne around the world in 80 days the steam house Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea hg uh, wells the invisible man the time machine and even mary shelley's frankenstein to some degree the elements of time travel mad science combining the natural with the mechanical and a neo-victorian aesthetic are common but not mandatory that is steampunk in a nutshell Sounds about right. I thought it was pretty concise. Mm-hmm. It's easier to follow w- with articles in there. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> it looks really neat as a little formula. I thought, like, the ba- the basics being mad scientist inventor plus progressive or reactionary politics times adventure plot. Yep. Just yeah. add that and multiply it together. Works. Steam plus punk plus... Steam plus punk. Adventure plus plus. plot, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, you need a story to tell. Yes. Yeah. Something that steampunk is is built for. Very much so. I found two interesting things about steampunk. I'm sure there are tons of different things. I got a bit distracted this week. But I found <laughs> steampunk fans, there are only two, that's it. Those yeah, are the no, only things no, we found. No. no. <laughs> Don't bother. <laughs> if you have any problems, please email T at the Nixcast.com. Whoa, and- <laughs> whoa, whoa, hey guys. Whoa. 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 Don't worry, the bus just runs on gears and and such so it doesn't hurt if you're run over by it well cast as many aspersions as quickly as possible on this podcast (laughs) okay all right so fine jerks Uh, i found two interesting things about steampunk uh one is that the first steampunk convention took place in 2006 oh wow uh one and a half steampunk is usually abbreviated sp uh the other one being that steampunk was added to the oxford english dictionary in i think this was this was written in 2011 so 2010 i should have actually wrote that down but didn't think about it so it's actually not 
while the aesthetic is is fairly common, while the descriptor is used pretty readily, and while people probably had words for that previously, it didn't enter the dictionary until, like, now-ish, in the last 20 years. Last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's only um, really since then that it's gotten the name. And the name kind of comes from cyberpunk. Right, which is also yeah. not super common. No, but is the word's been around a lot longer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's like Blade Runner is considered to be cyberpunk. Yeah. Yes, and it was probably known to be that at the time, or yeah. approximately the time. Well, I mean, the word itself apparently actually came from a letter to Locus Sci-Fi and Fantasy magazine um, from K.W. Jeter, I believe the author of uh, The Infernal Machine, or Infernal mm-hmm. Machines, yeah, in which he said, you know, oh, you know, the crazy mashup of uh, Victorian setting and technology from that time and crazy outlandish plots it's nothing new here in the year 1987 um myself and a few other authors were doing it back in the 70s you know uh perhaps uh if this is a real movement we should call ourselves something i don't know maybe steampunks yeah and thus steampunk was born there you have it it's like if cyberpunk is this yeah like super advanced technology and in like a different kind of industrialism from like Mm -hmm. Victorian era industrial revolution. Then this is steampunk. Yeah. One other thing that I found out is like many new genres, like many different works of, of art, steampunk has inspired a new type of music. Do either of you know what it is? Hmm. 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 Drummin' hurdy-gurdy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. If that's um, not it, I have just inspired another new type of music. Z? I would guess uh, playing instruments while reading music that's printed in sepia tones. Oof. That... What? No. 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 So Play, playing me, music while and then describing the format in which they're reading the notes does not usually extend to other genres. Well, I don't know how avant-garde this steampunk stuff can be. <laughs> okay. So the the new genre of music that it it kind of helped create was chap hop. Oh. Oh yes. Two leading exponents of the genre being Professor Elemental and Mr. B the Gentleman Rhymer, who I actually stumbled across accidentally showing up in my uh, Spotify Discover Weekly playlist. Interesting. I was just like, this sounds interesting and is a bit different. <laughs> Apparently Chap Hop, which led me to learn more about Chap Hop and also listen to some really kind of cringeworthy renditions of I don't know. Early hip hop music in chap hop style. Oh boy. <laughs> it's like somewhat endearing, but also strange. And I also learned there's an instrument called a banjo lele. <laughs> Brian May plays it on the song Good Company. Hmm. I'm going to have to re listen to that Fact. song. <laughs> I watched that making of A Night at the Opera documentary. He plays yeah. that. It is. It is the tiniest, tweest sounding thing. It's 
a very interesting instrument. I also found out that uh, there was a book, Regretsy, which had a category not remotely steampunk, which is basically, hey, I took this thing and I painted it bronze, or I glued gears on it, which inspired a song by Sir Reginald Pike Devant, Esquire, called Just Glue Some Gears On It and Call It Steampunk. Whoa. So this person was making making it ironically? The video? No, the just painting things bronze or gluing a gear on no, it. No, no. Apparently there's all sorts of stuff. So Regretsy is a book about regret regretted purchases on Etsy. Oh, okay. And they were saying, okay, these I've created a new category, not remotely steampunk, which is stuff <laughs> that's supposed to be steampunk. Oh, I see. Okay, I get you. Also was reminded that Though many people will call things like Nixie Tubes steampunk, Nixie Tubes existed long after that era. I don't know what those are. Oh, have you ever seen those little, they're like giant light bulbs? Okay. They're like old-timey light bulbs. Okay. They're kind yeah. of... Um, oh, yeah. Oh, that have the... Like they the look like often, test often, tubes. Often display numbers. Yeah, those. Okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, those are Nixie Tubes. Okay. And they are not steampunk. Like there's a cover of a Depeche Mode album, I believe. Has oh, those, huh? hmm. those are some interesting things that I learned. Cool. So, having gone to a lot of cons, and it wasn't something that at the time I was like, oh. That's weird, but just like <laughs> thinking about it and like as we were doing the research for this is people who are in steampunk costumes, like at cons and things, uh, are more often than not um, original characters. Mm-hmm. It's like, like there's some, you know, like steampunk Batman or whatever. Yeah. Like kind of adapting them to the Team Bunk Pile. For, for the most part, people have their own characters with their own names and their own titles and their own stories. Yeah. In trying to find a steampunk show to watch, um, which I was not able to do, if there is one that I haven't found, please email me, g at the nixcast.com. But there aren't that many shows nor movies that are steampunk. Okay. But... Um, it is largely a vehicle for people to tell their own stories. Because if people make a ray gun or a crazy clock or like have this, <laughs> you know, the wings or, you know, or, or have goggles or have like, like a captain's uniform or something like that, they have a story that goes with it that most likely came from their own head. So any part of that is storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so watching um, the documentary Vintage Tomorrows, which is available on Netflix it seemed like that's what drew people that whether they were making costumes or making gadgets or making robots or whatever. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, they're using the steampunk setting to tell stories. Yeah. Actually, as you, uh, as you bring this up, G, um, I also watched that documentary vintage tomorrows. <laughs> and, uh, the thing that immediately jumped to mind was the guy who created the persona of the airship captain and like he Air, was saying, airship ambassador yes airship ambassador yes yeah. and he was saying how you know before he discovered steampunk he was just a, a jeans and t-shirt guy didn't really like dressing up then he discovered steampunk created this character 
and like now always dresses in very not necessarily ornate but elaborate um victorian i guess admiral's dress really mm-hmm. so it's like it in an it, from the way the documentary filmed the interview with him it seemed like he just wears that around not necessarily to cons but like it's just his <laughs> he was just sitting on his day. couch wearing it as yeah. he was being interviewed <laughs> yeah which is which is kind of well not even kind of very interesting because it's like people are creating these characters and inventing this stuff around them whether it's costumes or uh, various various stuff like i don't know if either of you came across the name jake von slatt i did not nope yo oh, well he's this uh <laughs> he's this person who's a pretty big presence in like the the maker part of steampunk okay okay <clears throat> and that's that's one thing i find interesting just to a little yeah. sidebar here the term yeah. maker like is a fan term oh well it seemed to be used more often than you would use it in casual speech to describe people who made things uh, like i am a steampunk maker mm-hmm. oh so I'm, I, I'm i'm used to seeing that term because uh like i one of the feeds that i follow is make magazine so there's also wow. things like Maker Fair, which is people who make stuff, usually electronics, uh, mm-hmm. other hobbyists. But uh, it's just another, I guess, fandom, which we could talk about another day. Yeah. I mean, which inter- yeah. which intersects pretty strongly with steampunk. Yes, in Absolutely. this case, yeah, Absolutely. it's the first time that I'd seen people use it regularly like that. Yeah, yeah, but this Jake von Slat guy, he is famous within the, the steampunk community for doing things like taking a keyboard like a computer keyboard and essentially turning it into like a typewriter style keyboard that I think is still actually functional as a computer keyboard. I think I have seen, I haven't heard of this person, but I have seen their work. Also taking uh, a small RV and I don't know what he did to the outside. I'm sure he, you know, made it look very Victorian, Hmm. but turned the inside of it into a Victorian parlor. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing with this Jake Von Slatt character in particular is that he was doing this sort of stuff before he knew about steampunk. He was just somebody drawn to the idea of do-it-yourself projects where you would take a bunch of scrap metal or parts or whatever, throw them together and make something new. And then he came across steampunk and thought to himself, all these other people are doing the same sort of thing. Like, why not just, join them? He just liked the aesthetic yeah and then yeah guess what you're part of a fandom or you're <laughs> participating in one i guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that actually ties into an article i found that was surprisingly a little bit more on the academic side of things mm-hmm. it was called crafting yesterday's tomorrows retrofuturism steampunk and the problem of making in the 21st century Ooh. The problem of making in the 21st century? That sounds so crazy. I should read the article century. and find out what they're talking about. Exactly. It's come, it comes from 2014 and is from the Journal of Modern Craft. And the main thrust of this article was that, um, well, first it was ramming steampunk up against futurism and retrofuturism. The whole idea... Um, you know, from the earlier 20th century, that the future would be this amazing place where all your meals are in pill form and you can take a bus to the moon and all sorts of crazy stuff. 
human human civilization has progressed to an insane degree. Everything is super advanced. Hover cars in every driveway, uh, space chickens in every pot, so on and so forth. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And retrofuturism, the idea that you know today's idea of the future is kind of bleak, often very apocalyptic. Whereas if you go back to like the fifties, as I was saying, it's much more upbeat. And they were in this article, they try to pull steampunk out of that and say, well, steampunk is different because those things are futurism and retrofuturism are just sort of about imagining the future, whereas steampunk is going back and kind of, it's got some retrofuturism in it because it's taking its perspective from a, an earlier part, an, an earlier place in history. But the main difference is that steampunks make stuff. And the reason for that, accordingly, as far as this uh, this researcher Elizabeth Guffey was able to suss out, was that big part of being a steampunk is admiring the honesty in something that a person makes themselves. And hmm. in that context, honesty is meant as um, as craftsmanship that will endure. So something that's ornate and maybe. Maybe does have a gear or two glued to it, maybe, no. but is actually functional at the same time. So when we were preparing for this week's episode, uh, one of the questions we, we wanted to ask, as in every episode, is, you know, why are people interested in steampunk? Mm-hmm. And so touching a little bit on your, your research, Z, um, you, you'd mentioned that it, it's largely that, that culture of making and that attitude towards, you know, that honesty towards maybe not gluing gears on things, but, but that. <laughs> Um, yeah, making making things that look beautiful, but also actually do something. Yes, that was the other interesting. That that was what I was going to comment on. Which thank mm-hmm. you for reminding me. Cool. Pe- what I found in my research was something similar. What drew them to the period of Victorian England, uh, or the Victorian era, I should say, is not the imperialism, is not the colonialism, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Yes. Um, but they were describing um, depictions of. Nemo's Nautilus, Captain Nemo's Nautilus in yeah. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm-hmm. So think about a submarine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I apologize, I don't remember the article. It will be in the show notes. I wish I remembered which one it was. But you have the Nautilus and a submarine. A submarine is very utilitarian. Mm-hmm. There's tubes everywhere and, you know, it's cramped and small. But when you think of the descriptions of the Nautilus, it's very different. There's ornate ceilings. There's high, beautiful, arched, vaulted ceilings it's very um beautiful but at the same time everything in that space that's described has a purpose yeah when you uh in that song that i was listening to um just glue some gears on it (laughs) they actually do a very good job of describing kind of what is steampunk the reason that things that have Mm. gears glued on them are not steampunk is because the gears serve no purpose Mm. in steampunk the idea of of all of these different pieces is that everything actually has a purpose in one article that i did actually have a citation for uh steampunk what the what the heck is it um the person put this really interesting quote which i found interesting as a millennial that's right i'm bringing millennials into this conversation or no what what you can't see my hands but i'm i'm (laughs) puffing up my chest i'm Um, I'm sure you're texting and selfieing as we speak dabbing right uh, now Doctors, etc. Um, so th- this really interesting quote that kind of ties that all together about things having a, a purpose and meaning. 
uh, might seem counterintuitive that Victorian era should appeal to young people who've grown up in a world of high-tech gadgets. But actually, being raised in an era of new freedoms, where boundaries are constantly blurring, and by parents determined not to impose stuffy rules or prejudices on their offspring, can be a disorienting experience. Many millennials are therefore drawn to eras and trends with rules and boundaries, hence the appeal of the more defined black and white attitudes of the Victorian age. The age also seems particularly exciting and mysterious, with its glamorous clothes and uniforms, intrepid explorers, dastardly villains, and dusty labs, especially for a younger generation whose interests are increasingly retro. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, like, you've got this idea of, like, makers, you've got this idea of, you know, everything having a purpose, and you have this idea of rules and boundaries in a world of today which has none of that anyone can do anything and it's all maddeningly disorienting yeah yes how do you navigate a world where there's no rules (laughs) boundaries are are very appealing in that way yeah yeah and one thing one thing that the impression of is in, in terms of technology with the victorian era people kind of admire the naivete of victorian technology yeah because like, oh, we can do anything and uh, get to the moon. We'll make a big gun. <laughs> you know, it wasn't the best idea, yeah. but I, I guess you might be able to do it. I, I've seen that documentary, G. I mean, I know that the big the big gun put a hole in the moon. I don't know how it healed, but. Uh... <laughs> I mean, to be fair, a space cannon is one proposed way to get things into space yeah it is actually a legitimate uh scientific method for putting satellites into orbit i mean oh, probably yeah. not like an actual cannon but uh, i mean pe- pe- people weren't you weren't morons they were just using <laughs> like the imagination Technology and yeah. and resources yeah. that they had yeah it's really interesting uh in that way to me because it's like they've got these sci- it's They've got scientific, well, scientific technological limits that we don't have because our technology is way more advanced. But it seems like, at least in some ways, uh, we and the Victorians had similar, I guess, imaginative resources. Mm. Like, we both, you know, more or less, uh, both cultures want to do more exploring, you know, whether it's in the ocean or in space. And... Like, there's that curiosity there. There's that, there can be among among our modern age, that sense of wonderment. But I guess because there's that naivete that goes with the technology of the Victorians, it's a little bit easier to see that, that sense of wonder in action. What I find interesting, uh, sort of in contrast to what you're talking about, T, in terms of technology having a purpose, a lot of people talked in glowing terms about the aesthetics of machines. Like a machine should look like a machine. You should know what it's up to when it's gleaming copper or bronze, you know. Yeah, not plastic or or just like ugly wood. The thing about steampunk that lets people build so much interesting stuff is they are free from whatever they're building having to have a purpose. It doesn't matter if it's efficient or cost effective uh. or like a certain size, right? Yeah. Because it's building it, because it's being built to be built and to look cool. 
Well, it, it's being built because it has a purpose, but it doesn't have any other constraints. It's just like, what if, what if, actually, that's, that's what I really wanted to say. One of the articles, again, citation needed, um, <laughs> was that it, the, one of the reasons that steampunk appeals to people is that exact what if. I don't know what it is about Victorian England, but it's this what if scenario in a time where we were discovering so much. Yes. There was a, there was something about a there was an event somewhere in the UK. No, it was not in the UK. It was in Waltham, Massachusetts. And it was talking about this absolutely massive gathering of people where an entire town transformed into like a retro future version. It was steampunked. Mm-hmm. Uh, with 15,000 people showing up and this person had an uh, a giant robotic arm. And it's just like, okay, what's what's that supposed to be for? Like, it's it's giant. It must serve some purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And this was very endearing and also kind of goofy. Is that uh, the purpose of the arm? Is uh, anyone who wears it, it lifts their spirits. <laughs> <laughs> but just like that, that is this kind of attitude, right? Like we're just yeah. going to make something because. Like it, everything serves a purpose, but that purpose may be so ridiculous or absurd. I guess you almost get like rude Rube Goldberg esque machines in that <laughs> attitude too. Yes. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I saw a lot of people making ray guns. <laughs> ray guns What's are the purpose? Cool. Also, the yeah. future. Yeah. What's the purpose? To harness the very rays of the sun, and shoot them at. People who are malcontents. Malcontents. Okay, thanks, Eve. <laughs> One of the interesting things about the why of steampunk, I mean, the uh, the easy why in any fandom is because it's cool or because there are other people <laughs> who like that thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on this, on this show, we like to go that extra little <laughs> bit beyond that. And by extra, I mean actually go beyond that little <laughs> bit. <laughs> I found this article on academia.edu. It was called Steam Culture, an Anthropological Perspective of the Steampunk Subculture. Mm. And um, this person, had it was kind of like a Cliff's Notes version of some research that they'd done. Mm. Uh, I kind of wish it went into a bit more depth. I found another article that went way too in-depth, so I was also happy about the brevity of it. But it kind of like broke things down into a number of different points. Some of the things that we see in other cultures, but I think these things are also uh, unique. Not unique, but part of steampunks. You know, creativity is respected, not particularly unique to steampunks, but still important. The opportunity to dress up, um, escape from the real world, be among like-minded people. Things that I think we saw in Esperantans, and again, in many fandoms, generally an overall attitude of acceptance of all people, and a high value and importance on individuality and uniqueness. And I think that part actually is, is very steampunk because it ties into that idea of the aesthetic and the importance of the meaning in the aesthetic, because people don't just say, "Oh, this is a cool hat because it has gears on it." They'll <laughs> yeah. they'll be like, as you said, I'm rear admiral whatever of the Zeppelin Brigade, and I earned this medal uh, in this battle. Yeah, and every single person's story is going to be different. Every single person's character is going to be different. Every single person's costume is going to be different. Every single person's gadget is going to be a little bit different because they're the ones who made it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like the individuality, really, you can see it. Mm-hmm. Oh, one thing I wrote down was 
it's easy to see where costumers get a passion for steampunk because because oh. <laughs> like steampunk and victorian era clothing there's just a lot of it on any given person so that's more that's more more to play with and more to work with if you're if you make costumes that makes sense i also have down here maybe addressing the punk part a little bit sure this is not a quote this is from well it's a quote of mine if the man is digital the resistance is analog digital then the resistance is analog interesting yeah well it's like i think people like the this is the thing that does this and this is the thing that it does as you as you were talking about earlier with with every everyone can do anything with anything like the the, the simplicity of this is an automatic pancake flipper <laughs> it flips Whoa. pancakes or the robot from from rick and morty <laughs> Because you pass butter, that's all that you do. <laughs> well, in that sense, it's not the sim- simplicity; it's it's actually the complexity. Because if you have a steampunk, if you had a modern day invention that you know flipped a pancake or or passed the butter, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't actually see the inner workings of the thing. It would just be a thing, it just, and it, it would just do the thing. Yeah, but a steampunk yeah. version of that is like you would see everything. It would be completely on display. Mm-hmm. you'd be like how does it move its arm well you can see its gears moving right there yeah how does where does it get energy you can see the like wound up mechanical bit over there how does it know that it's in the right spot well it doesn't but you can see <laughs> that it if it bumps into something it flips this thing that rotates it or whatever it's it's physical um engineering or mechanics coming around as a hobby because it is less and less used in like the regular world yeah the more things are digital the more we're going to be fascinated with stuff stuff that you can see the the see the individual parts and Mm -hmm. and the mechanism and the fact that it doesn't need to be plugged in or charged yeah either it's running on steam or it's running on uh, some sort of wind-up power so it makes it very tactile yes yeah, I remember that that coming up in Vintage Tomorrows. Yeah, the feel, the physical, you know, fiddling, fiddling with your hands in there. Yeah, in that documentary, Vintage Tomorrows, um, they interview uh, Magpie Killjoy. Yep. Um, who was one of the people behind, if not the person behind, the first steampunk magazine. Mm-hmm. And I remember that one of the things that he really emphasized was that... Um, technology of today is so alienating because you can't see into it like like we've been saying Um, it's very sleek and very efficiently designed but like if you were to pop it open you wouldn't be able to do anything with it because you wouldn't really be able to figure it out on your own in the same way that you could figure out victorian technology if you like pried it apart and tried to put it back together Mm -hmm. and so like for him and a few other people in that documentary the thing with steampunk and like the relationship with victorian technology is that victorian technology is is more human than modern technology because you can see the bits moving because you can like under you can fairly easily conceptualize how it's working if you take it apart and try to put it back together you can you can get what the other person was thinking when they put it together yeah 
Yeah. You can see how everything interconnects. Mm-hmm. I was going to touch on this other article that I found that you reminded me of, Z, called Steampunk Reimagining Trash and Technology. And one thing that it, it touched up upon, in addition to also saying, you know, <laughs> steam, steampunk, you can see the insides of this thing. And today we don't see that. Mm-hmm. Was that the thing about people who enjoy steampunk, one of the reasons that they, they like that is it helps them. It is... At the core of steampunk is this idea that you get to redefine your relationship with technology. Today, mm-hmm. if somebody's like, you don't have a cell phone? <laughs> I mean, in, in first world countries, in developed, like, et cetera, you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's like, why don't you have a cell phone? It's like, because there's this expectation that you have this particular relationship with technology. How do you mm-hmm. not have an email address? Um, software developers are finding it really interesting because some people are like, hey, I don't have a... A Facebook account or a credit card number or an email address. Mm-hmm. I just have like a Twitter or something. Yeah. And ah. the interesting thing about steampunk is you define that relationship with technology. If you are Rear Admiral Puffin stuff, yeah, yes. Thanks for the ridiculous name. Then you get to define your relationship to technology. You can be this. Um, this boisterous old general who, who's a bit of a Luddite but is really taking a shine to this new auto gyro or whatever. <laughs> like, you get, to, you get to make that up. Yeah. If you build a piece of, of uh, kit for your decoration, for your admiration, you get to des- des- decide that, your relationship to it. It's not mm-hmm. just a thing that you take for granted or that is necessary. Well, yeah, one of the, the things they touched on in Vintage Tomorrow's was you're in control of your technology and, as you said, your relationship to it. This is more, you know, when going back to, like, this is the thing that does this and this is what it does, you're, you're like, you're, you're still in command of all of it. Where yeah. it, it feels like, you know, your phone's playing you sometimes. Someone, someone actually said that it's steampunk is a reinterpretation of humanity's relationship with machinery. Ooh, that's a good quote. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, a future in which you know the ro- the robot uprising is not an eventuality. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look forward to that future. Yeah, we. I think we all do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, time travel is also a good thing to look forward to. Yeah. Yes. I mean, or, or, or back. back. Yeah. Ah. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, See, I came from the future and and you said that yeah. you met you met in the middle, you met in the present. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Did we want to talk about the punk part of steampunk? Sure. Like yes. it, it's funny because we inadvertently were like steam technology, technology <laughs> and people, punk people question mark. <laughs> <sighs> wow. Like it's it's steampunk, not steam folk, not. <laughs> um steam, steam makers yeah. yeah not steam people yeah so how are these people punks if they're harkening back to the victorian era with all these strict rules and stuff well it's not like a central like counterculture movement or something um i think i think it's it's a reaction to like the the long trend in science fiction of like dystopias oh, man. and yeah. gloominess that just hung over sci-fi for a very long time. 
mm-hmm. because it steampunk tends to be a like a more positive hopeful outlook yeah like the anything is possible open skies in an airship in those skies mm-hmm. surging ahead on the brink of discovery uh mm-hmm. to a new dawn sort of thing so mm-hmm. i think in that way it's putting some some fun back into it okay yeah and and you know as i said before like everything around us is digital so the natural resistance would be to to de-digitize or non-digitize and go some back to something you could feel in your hand. Yeah. Something that's got your back when the chips are down, et cetera, et cetera. Ooh, the microchips are down. Exactly. Way down. Forget oh them. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's the aspect of upcycling. Yeah. Right. Which is repurposing stuff when you're building your gadgets. Mm-hmm. For a, for a better purpose, for more interesting purpose. Combining to create a greater whole than it was part of previously. Which is also, like, like the building is, is very close to the punk, which has always had, like, a DIY ethos. Yeah, that's true. And steampunk is very DIY. Yeah, in, um, in these two articles that I read by Drew Pagliasati, one was, does steampunk have politics? And the other one was, does steampunk have an ideology? Mm. Um both of them kind of, you know, got to the root of what punk is. Punk is an ideology that embraces anarchy and individualism, rebellion and free thought. So, you know, the maker movement is is in line with, you know, pretty much every part of that except for the anarchy bit. But the the individualism is really important. Mm-hmm. And, and we already yeah. saw cyberpunk, which was, as you kind of mentioned, like dystopian. And today it's not like blank punk, but it's like dystopian. And big corporations and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, what this person kind of was was putting forth was this idea that steampunk might have ideology and, and politics. And the punk part is like trying to stop. Oh, man, that, this is going to get really heavy really fast. <laughs> all right, it. bring it. All right, I'm just I'm just going to read the quote. <laughs> this person argued that Jules Verne's Captain Nemo offers a possible starting point for the development of a political standpoint within the steampunk movement. Uh, that person suggested that a mnemotic steampunk would oppose both the imposition of exclusive boundaries, that is nationalism, which steampunk might interpret quite broadly, and the propagation of cultural imperialism, um, which is challenging position for a movement so enamored of Victorianism, but a yeah. position that could be ameliorated by consciously adapting Nemo as a post-colonial icon and setting forth the clear argument that Neo-Victorianism does not necessitate adopting all the bad old ideas of Victorianism. Instead, it's that peculiar upper-class Victorian sense of enthusiasm, optimism, confidence, manners, and good sportsmanship that steampunk wishes to reclaim, not its sexism, racism, classism, poverty, and other ills. But like... This so so aside from that that got really deep really fast would oh, yeah. recommend reading both articles. Um, that person was putting forth the idea that the punk and steampunk is this idea of enshrining that individualism and the removal of boundaries and taking that Victorian sense and moving it ahead. And I thought that was that was really cool. I mean, these are not Victorian recreationists. No, no. that that is something separate. Yeah, but steampunk is kind of a re, an etch a sketch shake, if you will, on the Victoria, <laughs> a Victorian era, mm-hmm. where you know, we don't want that bad stuff. We want to kind of use it to get to somewhere else. 
Well, it's like we've romant we've one taken the past, two romanticized it, and three added what if. Yeah. Yeah. What I what I found really interesting, and I'm gonna go back to the old well, back to vintage tomorrows. Okay. Was uh, pretty much from the first few minutes of that documentary, I was thinking to myself, okay, all these people so enthusiastic about steampunk, but it's it's like this callback to the Victorian era, and like you you were just saying, T, um, you know, you've got colonialism in there, classicism, imperialism, uh, racism, sexism, so many things going wrong in that era. How can these people be so optimistic about it? But then in the in the documentary itself, you've got people. Uh, just out and out saying like uh, Claire Hummel I believe mentioned that yeah steampunk currently is a very white middle class western kind of movement so like even though I I find that to be a good sign for steampunk as a I guess as a movement that they're aware of not only the limitations of the age that they're kind of like taking and trying to reinvent but also of the mo- like their own group and its limitations and how they they want to expand that and China Mieville also featured in that documentary spoke about that as well because he was he uh made the point that geeks like geeky things and they like doing geeky things but the problem with that is that the more you do a thing the more boring it kind of can become and he personally admits that he is bored with steampunk he wants to see new steampunks. He wants to see queer steampunk and like black steampunk Ooh. and Asian steampunk Ooh. and all these new different kinds of weird out there and like non-mainstream, non-white steampunks. And I found that really interesting that this movement that's very political is also self-aware, which yeah. to me suggests that they're actually going to change or at least have the ability to change. There's much. There's much more to push outward too it's that not just this little me. oh do you if i could get ahead of you for just one no go for it if you don't mind because it's the perfect perfect time for a mid-episode spotlight Ooh. of a place that i found it's uh beyond victoriana it's called beyond Vic- it's at beyondvictoriana.com, and i'll just read you what they call the nutshell explanation Beyond Victoriana is the oldest running blog about multicultural steampunk and retrofuturism that is steampunk outside of a Western-dominant Eurocentric framework. Founded in 2009, Beyond Victoriana focuses on non-Western cultures, underrepresented minorities in Western histories, Asian, Pacific Islander, Middle Eastern, First Nation, Hispanic, Black, African, and other marginalized identities, and the cultural intersection between the West and the non-West. So if you're at all interested in that, I highly recommend to beyondvictoriana.com there's all, all kinds of stuff and resources that they have there for people interested in uh, expanding their steampunk boundaries a little bit interesting i was just gonna yeah. say and this your thing reminded me of it of a 2g i didn't have an intended spotlight but i remembered i have a whole bunch of crap sitting on my desk <laughs> and among that crap is a card that i picked up in anime north Ooh. Uh, for a book series called the international house of vampires Ooh which uh was interesting to me because yeah in a weird spotlight uh it was interesting to me because it was about a set of vampires that are not the type type that suck blood they're the kind that suck chi oh Oh, interesting and like yeah anyway uh so the first book was the undead sorceress by jf garrard which this card assures me is on amazon kindle (laughs) 
Um, anyway, that, that just reminded me because it's this idea of like doing things that are different. We, we always take things that are nerdy and we actually reduce them. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. steampunk. Uh, it's getting kind of boring. It's like steampunk Iron Man. It's like, okay, you've taken two things that are nerdy. You've just reduced it. Like you yes. want to make it bigger. You want to make it broader. You want to introduce new concepts. Yeah. And that's really, I'm, I, I am also looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's, um, I don't know, it's probably safe to say it's not going away now. <laughs> no, I was just going to have to keep not, changing. No. With the, not, not with the times, but keep changing as it as it grows yeah. and expands, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a, a big part of that is, once again, going back to another well that we've dipped into many a time here on Phanthropological. George Orwell? Nope. Okay. The digital well, the information well, the internet. Are you saying we've used the internet for every episode so far? No, I'm saying that a lot of the time... Stand for these wild allegations. (laughs) When we're talking about different fandoms and how they've propagated and how they've grown, it's usually because of the internet. Yes. And I think that's, once again, the case with steampunk. The wireless. The wireless. It is a web-propagated culture. The golden age of wireless. Oh, no! Nope, not touching, not touching <laughs> that one. <laughs> I don't know. There's not that much to say about Thomas Dolby with relation to steampunk. He just wears steampunk stuff. Yeah, he he's taken the aesthetic. Uh, maybe his songs now and then have a steampunk theme, but actually, I'd say his studio has more of a steampunk theme than anything else. Yeah. His his old boat that he's turned into a oh, studio, yeah. uh, sitting on the shore next to his like cottage or whatever that he called the <laughs> nut, the nutmeg of consolation. Yeah. What? <laughs> all right. These are all like facts they're... about Thomas Dolby. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll come back to that. I'm sure. <laughs> no need. There's no need to no come need. back to it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Speaking of the political angle of steampunk, as I was digging more and more into what steampunk was all about a few things popped into my mind one why the victorian era what makes it so great but more importantly to this discussion doomsday preppers is is this a plug for a separate episode no (laughs) no well my thinking was a lot of these steampunks are about do-it-yourself stuff um, it sounds like the really, really hardcore steampunks kind of try to uh, renounce capitalism and I don't know if they go off grid, but like disconnect as much as possible from mainstream consumer society. And when I think of people sort of like pulling out of society like that, I kind of think of doomsday preppers. So I was like, okay, what do doomsday preppers think of steampunks? So did a little, a little searching on that old internet. All right. And I did come across one thread on the gunandgame.com forum. Uh, it was all about steampunks. Very mixed bag. Some of the people on there said, you know, well, steampunks, you know, when the when uh, the uh, when the chocolate ice cream uh, hits the uh, ventilation shaft. Um, <laughs> You know, steampunks won't last a day. 
But then there were other people who were like, well, it kind of depends. If they're the dress-up steampunks, then, yeah, you know, they like the fashion, they like the costumes, that's about as far as they go. But if they're the maker steampunks, they stand a good chance because they can just, like, they have this crazy ability to just pull in all sorts of random bits, random scraps, and make functional things out of them. And so it was, it was kind of interesting to see this other group sort of possibly with a similar political footing to the extreme end of steampunk, mm-hmm. uh, what they had to say about it and how it's it's so mixed, how it seems like some of them are like, huh, it's just something something kids are doing. What do kids know? Other people are like, hey, they actually know about how to how to make stuff from junk, which could be useful in a doomsday situation. I don't know about you, Z, but uh, if you've ever seen somebody make a costume, that is not something that is, like, easy. Yeah, but that, pan- so... that pancake flipper <laughs> has many practical applications with just a little, a little <laughs> tweak. Yeah. Yeah, you just make a little tweak and then it like shoots a laser every time it flips a pancake. Maybe. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't expecting to find a connection between Doomsday Preppers <laughs> and uh, Steampunk, and uh, you found that one. Interesting. So. That was good. Yeah. Um, actually, so maybe we can talk about this a little bit. Oh, yeah? All right. Now, this is from a post by someone called Fourth Written, and it's uh, quoted on the Steampunk fan lore page. Ooh. under criticism of steampunk and fandom huh. oh okay and this right. is perhaps the crux of my thoughts on steampunk it's a superficial understanding of the victorian age without wanting to understand the anxieties of the age i'm gonna say something really callous who cares I thought we could talk about colonialism and. Uh, oh, okay. No, sorry. I, no, no. I, <laughs> sorry. Okay. No, Don't no, you no. care but, about colonialism, T? Oh my no, god. No, I meant. I'm. What I meant was. Gotcha. <laughs> what I meant was, it's like, oh man, why, like, why don't they care about these the crappy parts of of this? And the answer is because it's crappy. But I mean, <laughs> all right. So yeah, we can actually talk about the colonialism bit a little bit i'm gonna admit it's a bit out of my depth because i know very little about late european history Mm -hmm. i guess like post-renaissance there someone most most of european history let's just be completely honest there's someone in um vintage tomorrows who's talking about being on a steampunk panel yeah and kind of got an argument about this and had someone say how could you call yourself steampunk and be anti-colonial Whoa, yeah. what? Yeah. Because sometimes we did things in the past that were not good for the world at large, and we should not repeat those things. This is just something off the top of my head here. But, sure. like, we only want to take the good parts of the age, yep. which is admirable. Use it as a palette mm-hmm. for new creative expression. Mm-hmm. But from for people outside... If they see that, they think what a lot of people think when they look at the southern flag. Right. Oh, take the good parts and then just hide. Like, the, don't worry about it. Well, but this isn't the, about the bad parts. This well, is about the good yeah. parts. Yeah, the yeah. people involved understand that it's just about the good parts. But everybody else who is not a part of that group just sees all these things that look like Victorian clothing, Victorian era stuff. And they think the whole Victorian era. Yes. Yeah. One of the interesting things from the Does Steampunk Have Politics, which you made me think of, was uh, talking about Captain Nemo again. 
and how Captain Nemo is Indian mm-hmm. and how he opposes the Raj and yes. how he would be opposed to cultural imperialism. And he is very much kind of reminiscent of that era. And I like I think that's a perfect example of how you can be um, a fan of steampunk and be anti-imperialism, anti-colonialism, because obviously there were people at that time that were not in favor of those things. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I, I think this goes back to, I think it was what you were saying Z about, you know, it's, it's uh, steampunk. It's not Victorian recreationism. It's mm-hmm. about taking a past, romanticizing it and making it better. Like what if the past was better and made a better future? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like 20,000 leagues under the sea is like from the time. Yeah. Like it's not, that's not a retro futuristic thing. That was just science fiction from then. Yeah. On one hand, it seems like pretty much everyone I've seen who participates in steampunk dresses as someone from the upper class. On the other hand, anyone can do that. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, we don't, maybe people do do this, although we're not talking about this. I don't know. Um, when we talk about, you know, people in the fifties, the 1950s, mm-hmm. they would glamorize the future that didn't exist then too. Yep. They would have, they would be retro futurists and have these sleek rockets and other things and jets and like getting into the sixties and seventies, I guess, getting into the Jetsons future kind of idea, mm-hmm. another retro future, whether or not it's to be believed, but that idea And I think to some extent, when you have, like, one of the core problems is that a lot of people that come up with these ideas are, you know, white, well-off people. And the people that we romanticize are that everybody was was well-off and, for lack of anything better, white. Yes. So, like, I think that problem always carries ahead. And so you get a little bit of colonialism. But I think it's very admirable that people recognize the time period and choose to not carry along those bits yeah um there was another thing from the steampunk having politics article and i can't find it in the article but it was talking about how um captain nemo because it was very much centered around this person Mm -hmm. but how captain nemo would very much be like let us like not just take the elements that we like from other cultures but like let's build this culture that is better than all of its its parts let's not just ignore the bad parts let's like improve on them and not just like culturally appropriate things yes that's why it's so nice to hear that that like stuff's pushing outward and and we're getting away from uh victorian london i ran across i ran across a couple a couple different articles that were like let's let's get away from victorian london guys let's (laughs) let's try Let's try some other spots. Ooh, Even yeah. Scotland, Ireland. <laughs> like, let's go elsewhere. So this, this, as I think about it more, it's not the perfect candidate. But one of the things that I wanted to put into the spotlight this week was a book series called The Parasol Protectorate. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, which I did not know was a thing, but I did know about Soulless, which is a manga series. Uh art by rem and uh but based on the parasol protectorate Hmm. um written by gail carriger and what's interesting about this to me was it kind of combined a number of of different genres it's got the steampunk aesthetic but it also has the whole supernatural 
aesthetic in that it has vampires and werewolves and they're both integral to the the story and it's got like a lot of your gothic horror yeah kind of but it's gothic horror steampunk yeah which not my typical thing but i found really interesting and engaging and uh what i found interesting about that and this is like a really low bar for interest is that it was about a woman Mm -hmm. who was a strong protagonist (laughs) who was put between two male protagonists but not in a oh which one should i choose but in a like she is a person who has a particular power and a responsibility with that power Hmm. and to keep these different societies in line despite only being one person who has no business being anywhere involved but does i don't know i thought it was interesting because it kind of steps outside of the line of look i'm some white guy (laughs) who's a sky captain which is which is always nice to see yeah (laughs) i imagine that in steampunk it's probably a lot more egalitarian than i'm giving it credit for i'm just making assumptions based on how most properties work this is this is us looking from the outside yeah, I mean, we, yeah. we've done lots of research, but we're ultimately looking from the outside. Yeah, and steampunk yeah. is like a very wide pool of cultural meaning as compared to some of the other things that we've looked at. Which are very specific. Yeah, they can get very specific. Well, just just based on the people that were interviewed in the documentary Vintage Tomorrows, it looks like, at least across genders, it's pretty evenly spread. But, I mean, that could just be because the the documentarians wanted to have an equal number of men and women talk about their experiences. So possibly. So guys, do you see yourselves pursuing any interest in steampunk in any way, uh, following the recording of this episode? Um, all right, I'll go first. My answer is a long and storied one as Captain... No, I'm not going to go that way. Um, what I would say is that having done research this week on steampunk, I, one, have a lot more respect for steampunk people, not that I didn't have any before, just that I often got the impression that, hey, if you glue some gears on it, <laughs> that's steampunk. And I have uh, since learned there is way more to it than that. Oh, Yes. And I definitely respect the idea of a maker culture and the DIY part and the just making things for the fun of making things just for the fact of doing something, being individualistic. That all really appeals to me. That being said, I'm not sure how I would contribute to steampunk culture. I don't mean in the I make things. I mean in the sense that it seems like a big part of being a steampunk person is making stuff or dressing in steampunk era clothing or things like that and i don't think i would do any of that so that's my answer long and short of it i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in here because what i have to say is related to what you just said okay i've had i in the past i was was attracted to it a couple years ago or whenever it was i found out kind of that it was a thing that was happening and i was like man this is cool i like this like this a lot. And I still do. Reading all this stuff, watching all this stuff, I was like really like, yeah, like I, I love the imagery of this. I love the look of this, love the the stories of this. But the problem I had back then was like, alright, I'm ready, I'm on board, I'm I'm ready to be a steampunk. And I was like, what where do I go? Where do because it's all it's all creation. 
all about creation and steampunk culture. I was I was looking for something to grab, like a like a TV show, or like a, some property to to watch and get into. But that's not really what happens. And I'm like, I don't. I'm not. I, I'm not interested in tinkering with gadgets. To be quite honest, mm-hmm. I like yeah. I like the I like the fashion aspect. I like the idea of making characters. I like the idea of making worlds. So there's something there. But I was a little bit stymied as like, where do I go with this passion that I have for this thing that I like? And become a steampunk map maker. Yeah. If I, That's if what I may, may interject before Z has a chance, because it's a brief interjection. Yes. Sure. We've talked a little bit about building up this idea of what a fandom is. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that I've learned about the research from steampunk is that steampunk is very much a participatory fandom. Yes. It's it not is passive. Not, it is not something like TV or <laughs> anime. There are, cosplayers are active, but anime people are more passive. And I don't mean they don't do things. I just mean that like you can be a passive participant in the fandom. It is a lot harder to be a passive participant in steampunk fandom. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You got to start making something. <laughs> so long and short of it yes i think i will i'm interested to see the kind of uh, communities that are around or uh, you know people are talking about vehicles with which to create stories and characters as soon as i started watching this stuff i knew that i liked it and then from then i was trying to work backwards trying to figure out like, the exact thing that made me like it but yes i'm probably gonna look more at steampunk after this episode how about you z well I will admit that I I find the uh, the sense of wonder very appealing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, f- I feel like maybe that's not so much the steampunk as it is the literature of the Victorian era with your your Mary Shelley's, uh, your Lord Byron's, your uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson's, all these people writing about wondrous things like the invention of electricity in some sort of semi-epic poem or the reanimation of a corpse by a mad scientist named Frankenstein or many other things. But as for, as for steampunk itself, no, not really. I mean, if anything, I think I'm going to uh, pick up uh, a difference engine. No, well, possibly the difference engine, but uh, I think I'm going to pick up some China Mieville and see what uh, what his writing is all about, because I was nodding my head and saying like he's got some really good points. Pretty much every time he was on camera in Vintage Tomorrows. I know his um, Perdido Street Station. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's just steampunk, but yeah. there's like lots of elements of different kinds of stuff. Yeah, in there. And what what really makes me curious about that book in particular is that so much steampunk stuff seems to be YA. And one of the things that I was wondering as I was doing my research was like, why why aren't there, you know, N-A or A or just steampunk things that, you know, aren't tied to an age group? Is it the sense of wonder? No, it's it's you getting stuck in all that genre garbage. (laughs) They're just words, man. They just (laughs) were. No, I'm like serious. They're just words, man. Just read what you want to read. Oh, I know. I know. But it's just weird that everything that has steampunk attached to it also has YA attached to it. Well, uh, I might interest you in something interesting for this week's spotlight. Oh yeah. 
I don't know. Do we want do we want to go there? Is that let's, where we're going? Let's do it. Okay, cool. Well, Z, uh, I've got something that doesn't have a YA, etc. attached to it, but it does have a K-A-J-A-F-O-G-I-L-I-O. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do, right. do, do a take two of this? Nope, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep going with this. Z, you know what you should check out? This oh. week's spotlight, which oh, is Girl that? Genius. Oh god, did you really? You really did. Okay. You should check out Girl Genius. Girl Genius found online at uh, girlgeniusonline.com. Uh, it was created by Kaja Folio, and it's more of a gas lamp fantasy than it oh. is steampunk. Uh, it's a graphic oh, yeah. novel slash webcomic slash however you want to look at it. <laughs> um, well, because it's, it's published, mm-hmm. but like it's also a webcomic. Well, did, anyway. did it not start as a webcomic and then branch out? Y- yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. But it's it's about this this girl Agatha Heterodyne, mm-hmm. who um, seems at first just like a clumsy student who can't get anything right until she later learns that uh, her mad scienceiness, which they call the spark, has mm-hmm. been suppressed. Hmm. And uh, once she unsuppresses it, she is one crazy awesome mad scientist. And there, it's just a, it's a fun story that I wouldn't say is Y A or N A or A or Q B P Y or etc. As you talk about this, I'm reminded of another webcomic called Gunnar Creek Court. I've heard of that one. Yeah. Anyway, but it's that's, probably it's, not a not it's, a. It's not particularly yeah. steampunk, although it's it's it seems to be somewhat Victorian or Edwardian in its setting. Anyway. Yeah. So you can uh, you can check out Girl Genius. It's a good comic. It updates like three times a week. Wow. There are several omnibus versions of the existing comics published. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, you can uh, check it out. <laughs> also, go watch Reader Die. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, the manga's the manga's pretty good too. <laughs> Man, I want to watch that again. It's not even particularly. I mean, it there's, there's, to have there's some, some steampunk elements. There's some elements, but like, yeah. I just thought of it now. What a joy yeah. that that oh. thing is to watch. Yeah. yeah. All right. Are you sitting comfortably? Good. And turn on next week's episode of Anthropological. Listen to us talk about anglophiles. Yes, and don't forget to leave a review on iTunes or Podbean. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. And you can find us online at fanthropological.com. If the website's not your bag, you can also check us out on various social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all at The Next Cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you'd like to email us, perhaps let us know fandoms you'd like to see us cover or the numerous things that we missed in an episode about a fandom that you belong to. Nick at thenextcast.com is a place to send all that stuff. You can also check us out on Podbean or the Podbean app. And we're now on iTunes. Please rate and review us there as well. And uh, until next time, remember, everyone's a fan. accent for next week uh
Hey Z. Are any Anglophiles English? Hmm? Hey Z. Yeah. You know what you gotta do. I, oh no, uh, no, you I, do not. No, you do. <laughs> you really do. Find your shoes. I'll listen to Petrophological. No, no, no. You'll figure it out. Good day, mate. Save it for the. Good day, mate. Good day, mate. It's me. <laughs> it's me, Ozzy McGee, here to announce Petrophological. <laughs> Starting up right now. <laughs> Something tells hey, me Prime Minister. Something tells me we're gonna have fun uh doing the plug for the next episode. <laughs> oh boy, there's that too. Crikey. Rank us on iTunes. And <laughs> I'm an imperialistic I'm, an, I'm a product of imperialism. Imperialism. <laughs> <laughs> Australian is like a British accent that's curdled. Yeah. You kind of got to go over the top sometimes, but it's hard to, it's hard to manage that. Um, this is the part where we're going to have to figure out how we're plugging next week's episode on uh, Anglophiles. Crikey. No, this is not a... Crikey. Next time on Phanthropological... <laughs> Where are you going with this? Bangers and mash. You want some spotted dick with that fish and chips? You'll get it. This time on Phanthropological. As long as you leave a review on iTunes. That's right. Wait a minute. I've become Hold Scottish. On. Hold on. You just went Scottish. You went from Australia to Scotland. In seconds. Scottish, I'm traveling all across the Emerald Isles. It's right now. Wait a I'm kind of sort of not there's really one, Irish. There's only one Emerald Isle, Isle, first of all. Oh. Do <laughs> 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 you want to learn about a bunch of wankers from across the pond? Listen to next week's episode of Anthropological. That's right, and don't forget to leave a review in iTunes. I can't get them out of me. Those are, those are Irish skinny, guys, so that's skinny useless. meat and potatoes. Throw it in a pot and boil it till it's dead. That's right. Next week on Anthropological Angle Files. <laughs> no need to explain the connection there. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Grab yourself a cup and some Jaffa cakes and get settled in for your next week's episode of Anthropological. Or I Bean. I Bean? I Bean. What? 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 W O T? What? What? What, Governor? Shiny shoes. Uh, anthropological. This is the thing you should listen to. Oh, man. Extra, oh, extra. <laughs> read all about it. <laughs> extra, extra. Read all about it. Anthropological talks Anglophiles next week. Extra, extra. Leave review on iTunes. Five stars. Four stars. Three stars. Nope. Lots of words. <laughs> 
X tree X tree. These are some o- these are some options for reviews you can make. <laughs> I, I do not have anything for angle files. <laughs> like I didn't I all I can do is more of the same of what you guys did. No uh, known as the the, the blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> known as the home of hmm. known as the home of the world's finest curries next week <laughs> on Phantophological we're yeah. talking about Anglophiles because relating people who like a country to that country are is okay you can eat that biscuit you're gonna wait until tea time find out next week on Phantophological I say, Charles, 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 Charles. I say, <coughs> I say Charles, 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 in charge of the days and nights. And did those feet in ancient times walk upon England's mountains green? And did the holy Lamb of God? I don't remember the rest of the words. Well, did did those did those in ancient times did those feet walk upon English hills? Pretty sure Find they out didn't. Next week. Unfanthropological. <laughs> to make sure you get your answer in a prompt fashion, please leave a review on iTunes <laughs> or Podbean. <sighs> to ensure promptness of service, please leave a review. <laughs> give us, give uh, us some tips. I feel like that's more than enough B-roll, guys. <laughs> Never, it's never enough B-roll. Never enough, never enough B-roll. <laughs> All right, well, if you got B-roll analogy, is the podcast. <laughs> the B-roll podcast. That's probably good. All right.